So this is the month we enter into the worship theme of prophetic imagination. Here in February, which can be kind of gray and cold, we're gonna use our imaginations a whole lot. And I've been thinking a lot about, I've been kind of pulled back to my first year of ministry when I was really excited about preaching more often and I lined out all of my sermons and I planned this one on humor and the spiritual value of humor. And I, wow, I quoted a lot of theologians and I was super serious and it was not a fun service at all. <laughs> it was kind of terrible actually. And at the end of it, I was standing out at the exit to the sanctuary and this lovely gentleman came through and he was like, you might wanna lighten it up next time, just a, just a smidge. And uh, so I've been thinking about him and those remarks as I plan a sermon on imagination. So there's plenty that I could be quoting, but instead I'm gonna take us on a journey of stories, three different stories this morning, and I'm gonna trust your imagination to work with them and to find what you need in them. So that, that's enough said on that. So the first story, uh, has anybody here read The Underground Railroad yet, the book? A lot of folks, and I think it's probably on many more reading lists, and I know it's coming up as a book discussion here at church, I think this week, so it's out there as a book that people are definitely engaging with, and I read it, and it's been a story that's just hooked me in so many different ways, but the part I want to talk about today is the main character, Cora, and she is born a slave on a farm in Georgia, and this is a farm where brutality just is part of the daily life for the slaves. There is the oppression and the violence that is doled out by the slave owners, and there is the hierarchy and the kind of grasping for power that develops among the slaves as they try to find some hold there. And so it is a place where this kind of oppression and humiliation and pain is a part of daily existence for Cora and for all of the other slaves that are living on this farm and working there. And part of what caught my attention is that there is a legend that develops on this farm and the legend is about Cora's mother, Mabel. Mabel is the only slave ever to escape and never come back from this farm. And she takes off and nobody knows exactly what happens to her, but their imaginations take root. So the slaves are imagining, how did she get away? Where is she? How did she manage to do this? And I think the slave owners are asking the same questions. How did she manage to get away? Where did she go? What is her life like? How can we catch her? But I think for both of them, both the slave owners and the slaves, this legend erupts, this seed of possibility that the world could be different than it has always been, and how it has always been is that no slave ever escapes. So these questions roll around and this legend begins to be created on this farm, different stories about maybe what happened to Mabel. And these questions, how did she get out, where did she go? And then an extra one for Cora, why did she leave me here? 10 years old, why did she leave me here? These questions take root and become seeds and then roots that I think are plowing up the ground that are shaking up what once was firm and steady, this idea that no one could ever escape and those roots get in there and they move it around, they move the dirt around in everyone's minds and imaginations and so this incredibly improbable thing, escape a different world becomes possible and starts capturing the imagination 
of both the slaves and the slave owners and the slave catchers alike. This seed gets planted by imagination. Another world is possible. That was our first story. Story number two takes us in a different direction. It takes us across the ocean into the jungles of Vietnam and into the pocket of a U.S. Marine named Scott Harrison. And in his pocket, as he is serving over there in Vietnam, he carries with him a tiny little music box, a small one. And he says that each night, or when things get really difficult there, all of his buddies would be taking out you know, pictures of people they loved or letters or small tokens that they had. And he would take out this little music box take it out of his pocket and hold it up to his ear and he would listen to Chopin's Tristesse. And it would distract him and capture his imagination and it would take him away from the dread and the fear and the remorse that he was feeling there in those jungles. There in the night, he would crack it open and listen. And he said that one night, along with listening to the music, an image came to his mind, something he had never experienced before, and it was an image of an old-time carousel out in a peaceful mountain meadow. And this old-time carousel was filled with kids who were laughing and playing. And this image kept coming back to him night after night, over and over. He'd click open the music box. He'd see this image of this old-timey carousel and the kids and the mountain meadow. And it got him through the nights and the time there in Vietnam. And I think of it as this thread that got cast back into time all the way to Chopin and maybe all the way to whoever gave him that music box. And it cast this dream out into the future of something totally improbable. So Scott makes his way back to the States and joins the peace movement and starts to build his life here. And in 1986, he gets a call from somebody that knows this image that he's seen over and over and this friend calls and says hey uh, there's a carousel available for sale out in Utah it's a Saltaire carousel it was built in 1910 and somebody's already bought the animals but the frame and the motor is available are you interested and Scott's like yeah yeah I'm interested so he and a buddy get in his truck and they drive out to Utah and they take this carousel frame and motor apart piece by piece and they carry it back to his house and put it in his barn in Nederland, Colorado. And Nederland, Colorado, if you've ever seen it or even if you haven't, it's a place that has I don't know some of the most peaceful mountain meadows you've ever seen in your life. So now we have Scott 1986 with a peaceful mountain meadow and a barn full of carousel parts. And so he does what anybody would do in that situation. He starts carving animals, right? So he's never carved wood before in his life, but he gets started first with a big rabbit and then with 50 other animals. So it takes him a little bit of time to carve 50 rideable wooden animals, but in 2010, they're done and they're ready and they're putting the carousel together, and the community of Nederland, which is population 1,500, comes together and raises $700,000 to put this carousel together. And so it opens, 2010, a dollar a ride, new community center, with a ramp to get on, accessible seating and places to be, a place that's open to everyone, this beautiful old-time carousel out there in this peaceful mountain meadow in Colorado. So imagination, this thread that got 
cast back way into the past and way out into the future. I like to think of this imagination, this thread that got connected to an image and a piece of music, right? Cast way back into the past, way out into the future, and somehow that thread was enough to hold Scott in place, hold him through those hard nights that felt impossible, help him come back into life, rebuild his life, and build into that dream that he never thought was actually possible. This thread of imagination, of music, cast backwards and forwards, held him. It made a different future possible. So that's story number two, Scott and the tiny music box. Story number three centers around Congressman John Lewis. You might have heard of him. He's around. He's actually alive. He's a great guy. <laughs> um, really happy that he's around. And we're hearing a lot about him these days. So anyway, I should stop. So um, should totally stop. Um, John Lewis, congressman, serves Georgia. He is somebody that you might know as a leader of the civil rights movement and as one of the first people across the Edmund Pettus Bridge on that march from Selma to Montgomery in 1965, he was the first person beaten unconscious as he tried to cross that bridge, as he tried to raise awareness and expand voting rights to African Americans. I got to listen to him on the radio this week. He was interviewed by Krista Tippett on her show On Being and that interview was played this week and listening to him, I heard him talk about the intensive training that he and the other civil rights workers went through in order to prepare for their actions. This was no small task they underwent and they knew it. They knew the seriousness of what could happen and of what they were working for and they prepared intensely. He talked about the orientation of the spirit that they cultivated and the discipline that it required. He talked about all of the reading and the learning, the practicing and the role playing. So practicing, have, having somebody come up and shake you, having somebody spit in your face, having them swear at you, and looking back at them, looking them in the eye, he said, and treating them with civility no matter what happened. This took intensive discipline. He talked about how they were able to do that. He talked about the practice of singing and the beloved community that they were able to create there together among the civil rights workers, black and white, together. And he talked about two essential tenets that form the center of the training, and I think these two tenets are also central to his faith, and they're worthy of our attention. One of those tenets is this idea that it is best for us to look at things in a long-haul view, that when we look in the moment, it is too small, and that rather we should be looking at the long haul. And for him, he is asking himself and the other civil rights workers to have faith that it may not be in my lifetime or my children's lifetime or my children's children's lifetime, but it will turn. The world will turn toward justice and change is going to happen. It's an orientation of the spirit that this is going to happen. So that's the first tenet. The second tenet, which may sound familiar to us as Unitarian Universalists, is this belief that there is a spark of the divine within each and every person, every single person, a spark of the divine in us. And if there is a spark of the divine in each and every person, then it is our job to help see that and draw that spark of the divine out in others. So it's not only to nurture our own, but to draw out each other's. 
So there, he said, is where the training really took root. And this is where the interviewer pressed him again and again too. So how did you really see the spark of the divine in the person that was beating you? Did you really do that? Could you really look them in the eye and be civil to the people that you knew just wanted to spit on you? How do you do that? She pressed and pressed and he responded so clearly that one of the ways that they did that, that he did it and the others did, was that they trained themselves to look at the person, to look them in the eye, and try to imagine what they were like as a baby. So to see them and to see what did they look like as a defenseless new life in this world, someone born whole and wanted and worthy, what did they look like? And then when that person was beating him or saying horrible things to him, he trained himself to wonder, what happened to you? How did you become this way? What happened to you? Imagination. That's what he turned to in those moments that were almost impossible. When he did what I sometimes see as the impossible. Imagination. So, prophetic imagination. It runs for me through all three of these stories. Through Korah's story and Mabel. Through this seed that got planted and dug up the ground of what they thought had to be that put out this imaginative possibility of something that could be different to Scott and his tiny little music box and this dream that came to him and the music that held him that drew a line way back into the past and stretched way out into the future that held him in place so that he could then build the life he imagined, the community he imagined. And John Lewis imagining what was this person like as a baby? What happened? Imagination is the through line through all three of these stories. And it's also the thread, the connecting point that allowed people to do things they didn't think they could do. To live through situations that seemed impossible to somehow guide their lives by their values even when that felt like the hardest possible thing to do. So I know that we are living in a moment and in a series of moments that feel terrifying at times and uncertain, where the way ahead doesn't feel very clear and it certainly doesn't look good some days. I know that's the outlook for many on the national and political scene. And I also know that for many of us, that's also what's happening in our personal lives. There are other things going on as well. There's the job that's been lost or the diagnosis that's come. Maybe the relationship we leaned on has ended. Maybe an addiction is rearing its head again. There are so many things that are happening in our lives that bring fear and worry and unpredictability. And yet through these, I believe we can lean on imagination. Imagination in the way that John Lewis and Scott Harrison and Cora leaned on it. What might be possible, even if it's not probable? What thread can hold us stretching back into the past and reaching way out into the future? What can we imagine that helps us to live into our values even when it's hard? What is that for you? What will you be holding on to? What will you let your imagination play with and ask questions about and roll around in your mind so that it can capture you and help lead you to live in the ways you choose to? 
imagination. It is a powerful, powerful force. May it take root in you, this half-imagined, half-remembered place that Starhawk talked about. A true community, a place where we feel safe, somewhere where people light up when we enter and our strength joins together. May it be so. Amen.